Good one. Let's see some Travolta moves over here. There you go. There's Joel. So what song was that? We Are Family. Sister Sledge, 1979. Big hit. And I have to confess, I love that song. I, I love it a lot. I love to dance and party and have fun. But I love that song because I've been DJing for many years now for weddings. And that is such a great song. Just throwing that song on, everyone comes out on the dance floor. You see moms and dads. You see brothers and sisters, cousins, second cousins. You see grandparents with their canes and their walkers. Everybody comes out. It's awesome. And you see little babies crawling around on the floor with a couple parents trying to keep them from being squashed by the big people. And uh, even, if, even in families with a lot of disagreements, with a lot of brokenness, with, with uh, divorce and things like that, uh, it turns out the people who can barely talk to one another can dance together. It's pretty awesome. So uh, everyone comes out. And if you've ever been to marriage counseling with me, you know that uh, my specialty is dance therapy. I just get people to dance and everything else follows. Now that's not completely true, but unless you liken a relationship to a dance where each person has their own part to play, and no, it's, it's definitely true. I want to tell you about a wedding that I DJed that was particularly memorable. As at most wedding receptions I, I'm at these days, there was a memorial table set up with all the pictures of deceased relatives, of grandparents, and even young people, or people that had um, been in military service. So you see these tables set up now at receptions so people can remember the people that couldn't make it to the wedding. And uh, I had this one memorable uh, reception. I was very surprised when I turned on this song, We Are Family. Um, I wasn't surprised to see everyone come out. That happens every week. Everyone comes out on the dance floor when that song comes on. What really surprised me and, and caught me off guard, um, one of the elderly women picked up a picture of her deceased spouse and um, started dancing with that picture. You know? And that, that means something. So trying to, I was trying to be professional as, as a DJ at that party, but you know, that, that got me. I thought, what a beautiful thing. And it wasn't a somber dance. It was like, we're da I'm dancing with my beloved. Um, remembering who this person was. Pretty soon I saw a young couple pick up, pick up another picture of, of their child. And they were dancing with this picture. And they, they had joy. They had this sense of we're celebrating we are family, even with these people that aren't with us anymore. By the time half of that song was over, there were no pictures on that memorial table. Everyone was dancing with, a, with one of these carefully framed pictures. Just a powerful image and what really struck me is just how important family is. Family is so important. And in the same way, I want to tell you something very simple, both young and old, is that the Bible unapologetically calls church congregations a family. You know? And it's not like this weird uh, metaphor or allegory that you can wiggle out from. We are family as a church body. That's who we are. We're a real family, and we're bound together through Jesus Christ. We're in 1 Timothy 1 today, and I'm just going to do a theology of family and look at how Paul saw 
this, this intimate family. So in 1 Timothy 1, 1 to 2, we read this very simple thing that you could just breeze by if you didn't know any better. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, my true son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. God has some very particular ideas of how churches are supposed to function, and it involves making actual family members of the people that you worship with at your local church. Making them, in your mind, these are, these are my family. And as far as I'm concerned, that means exactly what it sounds like. Making the effort to come to know each other, to support each other, to pray for each other in ways that bind the body together in unity through Christ. And we, we heard the truth a couple of weeks ago that through Jesus, what binds us together is always going to be greater than anything that separates us. Because Jesus' blood, Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, God's love received and God's spirit poured into each believer is what binds this family together. It's always bigger than anything that could ever separate the body. It's bigger. Let me ask you a question. Looking at this passage of Paul talking about Timothy's true son in the faith, this is a question that John Soper asked in our daily readings this past week. Do you have anybody in your life who would consider you to be one of their spiritual parents? Let me ask you a different question. Does anyone here have someone that they have considered a spiritual parent to them? Let's see a show of hands. A spiritual parent, a spiritual mom or dad. Yeah, it's a powerful thing. But a good question for us this morning in looking at Paul and his example to Timothy and really to Titus as well. These are two young pastors. Um, he considered them his child, his offspring in the Lord. And the question is, do we each have our own son or daughter in the Lord? People that we're pouring into, people that we, we really make an effort to get to know and who consider us to be a model of Christian life, who consider us to be uh, someone who inspires them, someone who just shows them the way of, of even humility uh, with Jesus. So do you have spiritual children? Do you have people that are no longer on this earth who have passed on? Who the thought in their mind when they're in God's glory in paradise is that person who's still living showed me the way to know and, and, and relate to God. They were a family to me. They were my, my parents. Uh, for older saints, um, you probably have several people that are in paradise with Jesus right now uh, because of your influence in their life, because you made them a spiritual child. So for Paul, and, and we're going to see from Jesus Christ himself, in case we need confirmation from God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, it all comes down to family. We are actually a family through Jesus and God has those very particular ideas that his church would function like a family. And it sounds, um, exactly, it's exactly what it sounds like, that we think about each other as a family in faith. We're called to find a way to make the people who are in this local congregation of Christ's body, where we attend, like our true family in the Lord. This is where the amazing stuff happens. Um, God is amazing. God has the office of prophet, priest, and king. And God is always doing his ministry through Jesus Christ in our lives. 
but through the family of God, through connecting together in this deep way, his ministry mysteriously flows from one person to another, from a couple of people to another, from one family to another. It's a mysterious work, but it's not just, it's not just that we position ourselves like, the American, like we're in the American Legion or some country club type situation. It's that there's something spiritual that happens when we begin to think this way and begin to recognize the work of Jesus in our lives. So this, this uh, concept of church being family was pretty much shot through the roof by Jesus Christ. It says in Matthew 12, 46 to 50, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak with him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak with you. He replied to him, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is a deep point. Jesus loved his family. He loved his mother. took great care of her uh, after his father presumably passed away. Um, it wasn't a question of if Jesus liked or loved his family. He was making a point that the family of God is, a, is even a tighter bond than our familiar, familial family. What do you think that passage means? What else could that mean? I, I, think, I think we take it at face value. God says we are a family, and he says that when we are bound together to follow God and do the will of God through the power of the Spirit of Christ, which brings unity, that this family is more powerful than even our earthly bonds as a family. Looking at these kids in the front, I, I, think to my, I was thinking to myself, especially today because I'm preaching on this, and you have to put it in front of yourself to remind yourself that these are my little brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe these are my children in Christ. You know? These, these guys up here and everyone that served in VBS took that same mind and rejoiced that these kids are all of our kids and they're a blessing from God. This family thing that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 1, he brings it up again in 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2, when he says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Treat each other like you would a treasured family member. When you're talking to your dad, don't be harsh with your dad. Um, don't chastise him or rebuke him harshly, but encourage and strengthen him. And do likewise with everybody else in this family. And when we get together as a church, when we have a picnic like we're having today, when we form in our small groups, uh, this is an opportunity to recognize the family of God, that um, we have mothers, fathers, grandparents, brothers and sisters, and weird cousins. <laughs> we're, all, we're all bound together. Through Jesus, even with our corny dad jokes and our weird stuff that families do, we're a, we're a beautiful, diverse, interesting group of people that is bound together through Jesus Christ. So um, relate to older men as if they're your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. This is something that Paul doesn't directly always punctuate, but it's there, these family Phrases and words are throughout all of his letters and teachings. And Paul is echoing Jesus' sentiment that we are expected to make a way for this theological truth that we're bound together in Christ to make a practical difference in our lives. 
So I'd like you to do me a favor and look behind you. For real. Look to your right. Look to your left. Take it back now, y'all. <laughs> that's, um, that's me coming out again here. But listen, those people that you looked at are your actual family in Christ. Anyone who is here and following Jesus, they're your family. There's something really quite shocking that I found this week in Hebrews 2.11. And it's not just an isolated passage. There's another, another version of this in Romans 8. In Hebrews 2.11 it says, Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Some of you who have been in the church for a long time, some of the old hymns talk about this idea of brother Jesus. But listen, this is a way that God has told us to think about even uh, Jesus Christ. That the one who made us holy, God, uh, and those who are made holy, us, are all part of the same family through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus was, was the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, begotten, not made. If you have faith in Jesus, you become an actual family through him. Because God the Father has made us holy through Jesus. And his shed blood flows through our veins, our lives. This is part of what we do at communion table. There's one loaf, there's one cup, especially in liturgical churches. Maybe we'd say there's one pita loaf, like at our church, or one bottle of grape juice, okay? That's unity. That's unified with itself. And when we take in these elements, we're remembering what Jesus did for us. We're also recognizing that the body, though many parts, is eating and drinking of the same nourishment through Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. And we're recognizing that what binds us together is stronger than anything that can separate us because Jesus' body and blood were shed to make us a family, a big, interesting hopefully uh, completely unique because of the people that are present, family, in God. So Jesus' death, his resurrection, his broken body, his shed blood, lets us say with confidence that we are family. So the question then becomes, if we are theologically family, how are we to bind together as a church and do this? You know, preaching is like an art form, at least to some people. For me, it's kind of an improv, you know? <laughs> now, I think about stuff I say before I say them. But preaching is, is this thing where people write books about how to do it well. People do seminars on it. People write papers on it. People talk to other preachers to try to refine their communication abilities. And that's all good stuff. I've read several books on preaching, heard seminars on preaching. A lot of the ways in which preaching and teaching fall flat, according to the experts, is a result of giving people good scriptural teaching and then not giving people simple, actionable steps to apply that teaching at the end of the sermon. And so the, the, the idea is that sometimes if you don't give people steps on how to apply, then it falls flat. Because people, well, I agree with that, but I don't know what to do with it. I understand that this is a good form of communication. But this is one of those things where I feel like we need to each individually sit with this and figure out our own application for it. I really do. Paul encourages Timothy to teach true doctrine, to avoid false doctrine, 
theological controversies, meaningless talk in 1 Timothy. But Paul's litmus test for teaching and preaching is found in 1 Timothy 1.5 when he says the goal of this command to teach the truth and good theology is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So if teaching about God and sermons and sharing things from the Bible does not result in love in the hearers, both for God and for other people, if teaching about God and sermons about who he is do not result in a pure-hearted desire to find a way to put those doctrines and those teachings into practice and follow Jesus and and the sincerity to see that process through to the end, then that teaching, even if it's good, becomes meaningless, becomes something that makes no difference in your life. Hearing a message like this and hearing this truth from Scripture is as much about the hearers as it is about the speaker. And the goal is that we would develop, we would hear this concept, we would believe it, then we would begin to take steps in faith to make it a reality. And when we do that, God's Spirit meets all of us and we, and we grow together in unity as a family. I'll say it again. The Bible clearly teaches that God has some very particular ideas about how his church is to function, and it involves making family members of your local congregation by any means that you can think of in your imagination a true family in Jesus Christ. And as far as I'm concerned, that's exactly what this passage means. So the question for you is, how will you do it, family? How are you going to make this a reality? How will you be creative this summer in a time when one business replaces another and, uh, you do the same amount of work, in a diff- but do different types of work. That's kind of what happens. It's not really a break to our modern lifestyle at all. How will you make it happen this summer, being a family? And be creative. To begin to live by faith that um, people in this church are your relation through Jesus Christ. That older women are your grandmothers. And don't tell them. Call them sister. You know, they might not like being called a grandmother. Older men of faith are your grandfather. The younger men and women are your brothers and sisters who need desperately for somebody to pour into their lives. How will you do it? So this is what I think would be a great and creative way to meditate on this idea and then come up with some steps to put it into, into practice. So I would challenge you before the summer gets underway to write down everything you do in a given month and categorize it in any way that you see fit. This is family time, this is recreation, this is fun. And then I would challenge you to make a separate category from that whole list which represents your church family. And I want you to prioritize that category as you would your actual family relationships such as with your spouse, your children, and the extended family that you love to spend time with. If you don't like spending time with your family, maybe that's not a good, <laughs> good picture. But just take that and make it a different category. Because if you're creative, you can come up with amazing ways to bind together. And through this, you can experience the fullness of Christ, maybe for the first time in your life. Because the simple fact is, if you do not prior- prioritize making your, your church family your actual family. You will actually miss out on a tangible relationship with God, meaning something you can see, hear, touch, 
you know, in other senses that sound more creepy, but you know what I'm saying. You'll miss out on a tangible connection with the church family, which God calls Christ's body. You know? How do we experience the love of God? One of the big ways is through the body of Christ. That's how we experience the love and care of God, through the body. So I'd say be creative. Make that separate category and think about and pray about how God would want you to make this theology a reality in your life so that people are actually your family. We must relate to Christ as a family member in order to derive a benefit from being united with him. You know, we must realize that connection through other people. It's true. You can sit with Christ's spirit at home, the spirit that is put into every person that believes in Jesus, and you will get a great benefit from that. You will hear the voice of God speak to you in some way or, or give you impressions. The spirit will reveal Christ to you. The spirit will give you strength and aid in your fight against sin and uh, helping you. You can sit with Christ's spirit and derive a great benefit. You can read the God-inspired scriptures that Timothy talks about and end up hearing God speaking to you through them. You can become thoroughly equipped through them for every good work. You know, the Bible calls itself extremely useful for this purpose in 2 uh, Timothy 3.16. But if you want to encounter Jesus Christ in the flesh, you must make your local church body your flesh and blood family. You have to find a way. We must place our church family in a category all its own. Church is not fundamentally meant to be like this. Meaning one person speaking to people and one person leading people and then everyone going home. You know? This is a great part of church, being able to share and preach and teach. But the real good stuff uh, comes when the whole church begins to function as a body. And I think we are, we are a size of church and a type of church where we could easily put this into practice together. The church family must be in a category all its own because that's the body of Christ. And you wouldn't put the body of Christ in the same category as summer concert series at SPAC. You just wouldn't. That's a whole different category. You wouldn't put that, the body of Christ, and, and, and put that in the same court category as children's activities. You wouldn't do that. Or even your work. You know, the body of Christ is one of those things where when we abide in the body of Christ, in, in Jesus Christ, the ministry of God begins to spill in and through people. And this is something that I'm so passionate about because the things that get me so excited about ministry, turns out all of them are pretty much in the context of, of a small group or a small group of Christian relationships. In our small group that is uh, meeting now, you know, the, the level of getting to know people, getting to pray for people, and then seeing God speak prophetically, which we'll see Timothy talk about, or Paul talk about in Timothy, speak prophetically to give his words and direction to people in that group is astounding. We went through the soul care book. Uh, everyone kind of attuned to the same material, and we got some real unity through that. And then we began to pray for one another, and God would just, like popcorn, reveal things in prayer as we prayed for one person and minister and build that person up. And that group is like one of the most exciting things I've ever been a part of because God met us there and did some great work that he, he's pleased to do, uh, that he loves to do when the church will come together. First Timothy 1.18 really caught my eye 
Paul says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once, once made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. This passage talks about this idea that Timothy received a prophecy about his life. And we're not told what that prophecy is, but Paul is trying to encourage Timothy. He's reminding him of a foundational thing that was prayed over him, that was from God through another believer, maybe even through Paul. He says, remember to stay in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. One of those familial benefits, receiving words from God. And these are things that are not just peripheral. You know, when God speaks uh, through, to us through other people in the body of Christ who pray for us, you know, this can be something that leads uh, to understanding of your identity in Christ, of the, the specific calling God has in your life, really even your entire life's goal and purpose in God's eyes and what he's calling you to do is revealed in these kinds of contexts where people come together as a body. And again, if we do not make time to make our church family our real family, we can miss out on that. We really can. So I just want this to be something we put before us as a church uh, because as we get into the summer, this is a great opportunity. As you're having this picnic outside, we're coming together. Look around and think about these people as not just being people that attend the same fellowship as you, but, but being the family that God's given to you. And make a plan. Write out your, everything you do in your life, categorize it as you see fit, then make the fellowship of the saints and the local body of Christ a category into itself and make it happen. And you will see the blessing of God flow into your life and into our church like never before. We're going to have small groups launch in the fall. That's going to be a great time to come together as a family. But even now, some people are choosing to start hosting a group and to invite other people to be a part of it. Some, some groups are continuing to meet uh, to, to fulfill the calling of God, that God has in our life of making people into our spiritual family. Praying for one another, studying the scriptures together, singing together, reading spiritual books together. Um, this is a time this summer to calibrate, to think about what it could mean to make the family of God uh, a bigger part of your life to, uh, and in so doing to come to know the blessing that comes from, being, from that connection. I want you to know that, you know, as your pastor and the elders that we have here, you know, we treasure, we treasure this family. I don't think that we do everything right or make the best decisions or whatever it is, but, but you are loved. We are, we're dying for everybody in this church to have this deep fellowship and love and pastoral care. And, the, you know, the fact is that um, that's not something the elders can actually do. There's not enough of them. <laughs> um, we can pray. We can talk about it. But honestly, the pastoral care of a church rests with each of the priests that God's placed in the church. And the priesthood of, of believers is everybody. And that includes little kids. So this is an opportunity to, to look at the church and think, you know, in what ways do I have a younger brother or sister in Christ who I'm pouring into? How can I get in a relationship with that person? Who is pouring into me? Who can I ask to be a mentor for me or a spiritual guide for me? How am I supporting the children in the church uh, and, and their parents and the ministry towards children in the church? You know, how am I making this my family? Like, and just like when we have someone unexpectedly move into our home because they're going through a crisis, you know, in our, in our, in our nuclear families, 
know, many of you have made huge sacrifices of your privacy and your space because a family member was going through something hard and you invited them in and they, they lived with you for a season and that was something you did because they're family. And it's just the same with God's church. It's just the same with God's church. How can we, how can we do this? How can we make Jesus' vision, Paul's vision, really the, the vision of, of God, that we would be the body of Christ, not just rallying together and then dispersing, but doing life together and recognizing the thing that unifies us is the blood of Jesus Christ and his broken body, which he willingly gave so that we could all become the family of God and the priesthood of believers. So, I would like to pray for us, and we're going to, then we're going to break and have this picnic outside. But I say, sit with some people that you don't know. You know? Take some time to get to know some people. Pray to God. And, and just have this fellowship time where you connect with your brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, grandparents, cousins in Christ. And seek God for what it looks like to really be a family uh, that comes together in significant ways so that we can all experience the best that God has for us in Jesus Christ. So if you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this family. And I, I pray that you would bind us together in unity. That you'd give us ears to hear, eyes to see how we can take the faith that we have in this family you've created and put it into practice. We pray for your blessing upon this church body, Lord. For your provision of many pastors many shepherds, because everyone here is a priest who can minister your love and grace to others. That you would make all the avenues, that you would bind us together and provide, it, provide for us so that we can continue moving forward into this vision you have for us. Thank you for Brother Jesus. And it's amazing to say that, God. That just like Jesus, um, we, have been, we have been made your family through faith in him, according to your plan. We, just, we pray that we honor the body and blood and the life and the life that still lives of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Really see the amazing things that you will do. So I pray your blessing on everybody here. In Jesus' name, amen.